0: this is new life christian fellowships weekly message podcast you can find us online at new dot org. and now this week's message merry christmas everybody man i am so glad to see you guys today uh if we haven't met yet my name is kevin and i have the privilege of working here at the church absolutely love it love spending my time with you guys uh one thing you'll see about me is I use my hands a lot, and since I use my hands a lot and I have a big bandage on my hand, I just want to tell all of you moms out there what happened so that you don't worry about me, because you always ask afterwards. Uh, this morning, I was trying to cut some papers in our big industrial paper cutter, and uh, the paper cutter won. Uh, basically, I, I, without getting into too much detail, I thought it was all the way up, and it was all the way up, but it's not foolproof. It's just idiot-proof, okay? So I um, went to slide the paper out and somehow got my hand up where it shouldn't have been, and whoosh, and that's that. So I'm fine. It's all closed up. Uh, should, be, should be good. Um, but that's why I'll be doing some of this, like, hey, like that. Okay, so just so you know, that's why I've got the bandage on, which is so funny. Okay, I'm not a masochist. I don't like to hurt myself. But it was funny that the title of today's message is It's Not Supposed to Be Like This. Because my morning was not supposed to be like this. I was not supposed to slice my hand open while trying to cut some papers last minute as we got ready for the message. It just wasn't supposed to be like this, and one thing that you'll know about me if we spend any amount of time together is um, I kind of, I have this thing, and it can be a really good thing sometimes, but sometimes it can be a little much. Uh, I always build things up in my head. I just, I, I do, like things get really big, and everything is amazing, and exciting, and, and incredible, and, and my friends who know me say, hey, pick another synonym, okay? We need to like break it up a little bit." But that's how it is to me. Things, I just, I build everything up in my head. Uh, one time when I was in like third grade, I think, third or fourth grade, I got it in my head and, and I have a twin brother and he plays into this too. Um, we got it in our heads that for our birthdays we wanted a pony. Now We wanted a horse. Now I grew up in Southern California and there weren't a lot of horses in people's backyards in Southern California, but somehow I was sure that, that I needed a pony. I needed a horse for my birthday, and we happened to be having a birthday party at a park, and so it was great. Lots of kids there running around playing games, and uh, at one point, my parents blindfolded my brother and I, and they said, "We're going to give you your present now." And I just knew it's it's pony time. Okay, I, I had I had this whole thing in my head like I'm they're going to unblindfold me, my pony's going to be there, I'm going to jump on it. I don't think I'd ever ridden a horse in my life, but I'm just going to jump on this horse, grab a third grade girl on my back, and we're going to ride off into the sunset. I mean. It's going to be amazing. So they blindfold us. The truck comes pulling up. And I remember someone said, so uh, what do you think it is? I said, it's a pony. You know, I'm so excited. It's a pony. And I pulled down my blindfold. And it was one of the best 80s scooters I've ever seen in my life. You know, the kind that had the big wheels and like on the base it had those cool neon like zigzags and triangles that you sat on. Like it's really cool scooter, you know. But I I didn't, I didn't want to ride off into the sunset with a third grade girl on my back on a scooter. I wanted to ride off into the sunset on a pony. And I was so deflated. I was so let down. Why? Because I I had this expectation. I had built this thing up in my head. And it was a great scooter, and I loved the scooter, but it wasn't a pony. And in my mind, I expected a, a pony for my birthday. And you've probably done this at some point when you were a kid, right? Christmas isn't Christmas unless I get that gift. And so you're searching, you're waiting, you're hoping for that perfect gift. And if you get the gift, Christmas is amazing. But if you don't get the gift, you almost can't hide the frustration. Right, right or wrong, it shouldn't be that way, but that's just the way it is. We we build things up in our our head. And today I want to talk as we continue our series, Christmas stories, I want to talk about a story of expectations and missed expectations, and what do we do? What do we do when the story doesn't turn out the way we think it's supposed to turn out? What do we do when we expect a pony and we get a scooter? In your uh, programs, you have a connect card. You can fill that out for us. Uh, you have some teaching notes. You can use those as well, by the way. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, I'm so glad you're here. Merry Christmas. Man, we, we built this place for you so you could come and experience God and, and, and explore faith. And we want you to, to know that we're so glad you're here. We actually have a gift for you. So before you leave, there's a gift bag out in the lobby. Make sure you grab, grab that. But I, I want to talk about why it is that even though Christmas is supposed to be this time of great hope and great joy and great peace and, and great expectation, why is it that sometimes Christmas brings up the opposite feelings for many of us? Why is it that sometimes Christmas just magnifies the pain? Why does it magnify the regret in our life for things we said or didn't say? Or why does it, it, it remind us of the loss that we've had? And what do we do when, when it does that? Because I I think we all have expectations. Whether you say it or not, whether you're like me and you just know you have these big expectations, we all have expectations about how life is supposed to be. And for some reason, Christmas brings those expectations to the forefront, especially when they're missing. I expected by this Christmas I'd have a house and we don't have a house. Or I expected this Christmas I'd be married and I'm not married. Or that the marriage would have worked and it's not working. It's not what it was supposed to be. I had hoped that this Christmas would be the time that uh, we would have paid off all of our debt, and we'd be debt-free, and and we're not, and I don't know how we're going to buy presents for the kids. Or, uh, you know, I had hoped that this year at Christmas I'd have a job, and I still don't. See, Christmas for a lot of us, even though it should be a time of joy and excitement and hope and peace, and I want to say that's where we're going to go today, that's where we want to get to today, Christmas oftentimes magnifies the things that are missing. And I man, this really hit home for, I think, all of us probably this last week. And I don't want to make light of of what happened last Friday with the shooting in Connecticut, because it's heartbreaking. I mean, when we think about expectations, it, it gives us some perspective, to be sure. But it breaks our hearts. Kids, you know, kids who, man, it's just tough. And you guys, I know you feel it too, because some of you came up crying to me earlier today, whose parents had expectations and hopes for what their kids would be, presents that are under the tree that will never be opened. So I don't want to make light of this topic, because there's just incredible pain sometimes around Christmas. But we don't have to live there. God wants to take us to a place that even though there's pain, there's there's hope. Because Christmas is about hope. Because when things seemed hopeless 2,000 years ago, when when the Jewish people, God's people, were, were stuck in this slavery to the Roman world, and they saw no hope, and they were this out of the, uh, out of the, the, the mainstream kind of nobody group, God came to them, and God can come to, to us. And today we're actually talking about a story about uh, a loss of innocence, uh, about um, the murder of children. And so I don't want to make light of that. I wrote this sermon weeks ago. Uh, not knowing, uh, obviously, what would be happening now, but, but that's where we're going to go today because it's in the story, and, it, and we're talking about Christmas stories and finding our story in the midst of their story. So this week, what we're going to do is we're fast-forwarding a few years uh, into Jesus has been born now. So last week, Jesus hadn't been born. Uh, this week, Jesus has been born. And he's somewhere between one and two years old, and these astrologers are coming to see him. They're wise men, and Ron's going to talk about them next Sunday morning. And then next Sunday night, we kick off the first of our two rocking Christmas services. at five o'clock, and then on Monday at six. So don't forget, you definitely want to be there. But come for the culmination in the morning of our Christmas stories, and then come back and rock with us that night. So Jesus has been born, and there's a king that's ruling uh, the Jewish people at this point named Herod the Great, and Herod the Great was not a great man. He was a cruel man, but he was a great architect, and he had, he had built all sorts of great things, including a temple, and, uh, and so he was called Herod the Great, but a mean, cruel guy. He, he killed one of his wives. Uh, he killed three of his sons. Uh, right before he died, he made sure that a handful of his nobles would be executed on the day of his death, get this, to ensure that there would be weeping in the land when he died because he knew no one would cry over him and so he said when i die i want you to kill a group of nobles so that there will be weeping in the land on the day of my death he's a cruel man he's a he's a he's a tyrant he's a paranoid guy and he knows that there's going to be this king that's born and that this king is going to come up and potentially threaten his leadership And he finds out from these wise men that we're going to, again, talk about next week that the king has been born. And so he says, you know what, tell me where this king is so I can come and worship him, all the while his plan is to go and and murder Jesus. And that's where the story picks up in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. It says, "When, when they had gone, these wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So Joseph got up, and he took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt. And he stayed there until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son and And there are these prophecies all over the Older Testament of the Bible about Jesus. Tons about his birth and about his life, and he fulfilled all of them. But one of them was that he would be born in Bethlehem, and he would be called out of Egypt, or it's taken upon him, he'd be called out of Egypt, and uh, all these different things about where he would grow up. Verse 16 says, When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years and under in accordance with the time he had learned about from the Magi. So basically, there was one road uh, leading right past Herod's palace to get back to where the wise men were going. When he realized the wise men were not coming back that way, they'd gone a different way out of their way to stay away from Herod. He realized he'd been outwitted. He got angry. He got furious. And he performs a murder of every child two years and under. Now, Mary and Joseph— have had their lives turned upside down in this last year or two. Remember, when the story started out, they're just a a Jewish couple. Uh, They're in love, or maybe not, maybe it's an arranged marriage, but they're learning how to love each other because love is a choice more than it is a feeling. They're learning how to love each other. And then an angel comes to Mary and then comes to Joseph and says, you're going to have a son, and it's going to be the son of God. And says to Joseph, Joseph, stay with her, even though everyone's going to think that, sh- that either you guys have done something you shouldn't have done or she's done something she shouldn't have done. Stay with her anyway. And he does. And they give birth to this baby, God in the flesh. And the angel promises them some things. The angel says, you know what? This son is going to be great. and He's going to be the savior of the people. And they heard about angels coming down and singing when Jesus was born that, that God is with us Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, all these amazing promises. But here's one thing that they didn't expect in the story. They didn't expect that one night they'd be woken up by a dream or by a vision that says, You have to run for your lives because your baby is going to be sought after to be murdered. They didn't expect that after just settling down in Bethlehem for a year or two, finding some roots, finding some friends, They didn't expect that one day they'd become refugees in a foreign land where no one wanted them and no one liked them. This is not their Christmas story. This is not the way things were supposed to turn out. This is not the way it was supposed to be for Mary and Joseph. They did not expect that because Herod was searching for their son and couldn't find their son, that he was going to kill all the children two years and under. And it would have been easy— Let's be honest, if we were Mary and Joseph, it would have been real easy to give up at that point. Say, God has forsaken me. I tried to live with God. I tried to live for God. God isn't real. God isn't here. Because if God were here, my life wouldn't have turned out that way. If God were here, my marriage wouldn't have turned out that way. If God were here, my kids wouldn't have turned out that way. But in the Christmas story, God is here And yet things don't turn out the way that Mary and Joseph expected them to. They lose their friends. They lose their home. They have no money. There's rumors of a scandal, and now they're on the run for their lives. And I know something about us. Because we're not so different from them. Mary and Joseph had expectations about what their lives would be. They had hopes. They had dreams. Joseph probably saw himself getting married to Mary and having some kids, and the boys would grow up, and they would become carpenters just like their dad was, and the girls would grow up, and they would be good Jewish women, and they would get married, and they would have families, and he would be the patriarch of this larger family. Joseph and Mary had dreams and hopes and expectations, and things aren't turning out the way they did, and you and I are just like them. We have hopes and dreams and expectations. And when they don't turn out the way we think they're going to, it's natural to be discouraged. It's natural to have pain and fear. And the thing about Christmas is Christmas is supposed to bring hope and joy, but for some of us, Christmas just brings to the surface all those missed expectations. I remember uh, a really painful time in my life I guess it was three years ago now, on Thanksgiving, my family was all up visiting from uh, different parts of California. They came to visit, and one day we got a huge fight, big blow-up, and uh, and I said things that I shouldn't have said to my parents, to my my brother. They said things that they regretted saying to me, and everyone went their own ways. And it was really painful. And by God's grace and because of hard work. Uh, We've restored the relationship, and it's it's better than it ever was because we're honest with each other now, and we love each other for who we are, not who we expect each other to be. And so the relationship is better, but I can tell you from Thanksgiving through that first Christmas after that happened, it was an incredibly painful time for me. That was not how I expected Christmas to turn out at all. And so what I want to do is I just want to take some time this morning and talk through uh, what were some of the things that I did do and some of the things that I didn't do when Christmas didn't turn out the way I expected it to. When my life wasn't turning out the way that I thought it should. And hopefully by some of the things that I did, uh, you can take them and do them. And, and, and probably some of the things I didn't do, if you do them, they will, they will help you to experience joy and hope this Christmas. That's, that's my prayer. That's my hope for us this morning. So here's some of the things that I did. And by the way, uh, I just want to warn you if you're a type A if you're a note taker and you just wait to get that last fill in the blank, I'm actually not going to finish all the notes today. I just want to warn you right now. Uh, I'm, I'm not. There's just too much there, but here's what I will do. If you will put this into practice, if you mark on your connect card, you're putting it into practice, I'm going to write a blog that fills this out a little bit more for us, and I'll send it out to you this week so you can process through it some more. But for those of you who that just brings up an incredible internal turmoil, I apologize. Okay, I just, I, <laughs> it just is. So deal with it. Okay, let's move on. Here's what I realized when I had that that thing with my family, and and I I don't make light of it. It was painful, and anyone who's ever had a big family blow up around the holidays with extended family knows how painful that can be, and how actually it can split families for life. And it was really painful. But here's what I realized that I had to do, and here's what I started to do. The first thing I did was I got really honest with God about what was going on in my situation. I got really honest with God. I said, God, I'm stuck. And this stinks, and it's not the way that I expected it to be. My family's not that family. My family was always kind of the perfect family, the model family. Everybody looked at my extended family and said, We want to be like them. This is not the way that my family's supposed to turn out. Other families, yeah, sure. Not us. And and so I had to go to God, but you know what stopped me from going to God? I thought I could fix it on my own. Guys, I want to talk to you for a second. And gals too, but, but especially guys, we think we can fix it on our own. And so we don't go to God. We don't get honest with God. And we think I can just fix it, but I can't fix it. You can't fix it. Guess what? Wives, you can't fix your husbands. Husbands, you can't fix your wives. Parents, you can't fix your kids. You can't fix your job. You can't fix your boss. We can't fix it. But here's the good news. We have a God who can. So we got to go to him. And here's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. Here's the key to coming to God, the first thing we have to do is humble ourselves. And that's why we don't go to God if we're totally honest. We don't humble ourselves. We think we can do it on our own. And so he says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Get honest with me. Be humble. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand so that he can lift you up. He can raise you up in due time. And then Peter goes on to say, cast all of your anxiety, your regret, your worry, your fear, your pain on him because he cares. And that's amazing. When we slow down and humble ourselves and say, "God, this sucks. I'm 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 lonely. Ever since she died or he died or they left, I'm I'm alone and I'm in pain and I I'm sad." God begins to heal us, because God is a healer, and the story of Christmas is that God does a miracle, that God can lift us up in due time when we humble ourselves and give ourselves over to Him. And so we got to get honest with God, and then we got to get honest with ourselves. And here's how you do it. You ask this question, okay? And the last word's the most important. Ask this question, how am I doing? Really? Really? How, how am I doing? Really? Because I can't tell you the number of times I shake hands in the lobby. and say, hey, how are you doing? It's like, I'm doing great. And then I read your prayer request, and your life is falling apart. So we got to get honest with ourselves. And the really is the most important. So I want to practice that with you, okay? I'll do it, and then you do it. But do it like you don't believe yourself. Because usually the first how am I doing we, isn't how we're really doing. Okay, so do it like you don't believe you. So how am I doing? Really? Okay, like that. How am I doing? Pause. Really? Okay, so let's practice together. Okay. One, two, three. How am I doing? Really? Hey, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Let's try that again. One more time. Okay. I like this. It's fun. It's like call and repeat thing. This is kind of cool. Okay. Ready? One, two, three. Really? 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 How How am I doing? I'm doing great. Really? Well, no. When I stop and slow down, I'm not doing great. I'm stressed out stressed out. I, had, I asked myself this question this week. How am I doing this week? I'm doing good. Really? No, I'm stressed out. <laughs> Christmas Eve stresses me out, man. I, I tell you as a pastor, I love Christmas Eve. I love our rock and Christmas service. It's going to be amazing, but it stresses me out every year. Every year. How am I doing? Really? Here's why that question is so important. What's going on inside of us leaks out. It leaks out onto those closest to us. Guys, take note. I'm going to pick on the guys, then I'll pick on the ladies next. Because guys, we're good at the next part, okay? We're not so good at this part. We're not known for our emotional kind of IQ, our our sensitivity. How am I doing really? So guys, this is especially important for us. How am I doing really? When you're driving home from work, ask the question, how how was today? How am I doing really? Before you get home, because when you get home, if you had a bad day, it just leaks out on your family. Wives, how am I doing? Those of us who were in school, college students, but when you were in finals last week, this would have been a great time to ask that question. How am I doing really? Because your roommates, it's going to leak out on them. It's going to leak out on them. So get honest about it. That, that first time between Thanksgiving and Christmas with my family, I was in, I was in amazing pain. And it just kind of leaked out on those closest to me, and they knew. So we got to ask, how am I doing really? And then the next step is to look for a next step. This is where guys are good. So ladies, ladies, you're good at knowing your emotion. And I I don't mean to to offend anybody, so I'm just going to use a stereotype. It's a stereotype for a reason, because it's stereotypical of most of us, okay? Ladies, you're good at identifying emotion generally, but then you, sometimes, sometimes, not always, sometimes, we get stuck in that emotion. I'm so stressed out about Christmas and presents, and you you say this for six weeks straight. Okay, then don't be. Okay, let's, what's the next step? Go buy the presents, be done, don't be stressed out, all done. You know, like, this is where guys try to fix it, okay? This is called fixing it. I'm suggesting, I'm, I'm proposing that we try to fix it. Listen, I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to suggest counseling in a second, so don't hear this as a, uh, a hit against counseling, okay? I had a great friend in college, and he started going to counseling because he, he could tell there was some emotion, some stuff going on inside of him. And he spent a year in counseling, and you, you know what happened? He got stuck in the emotion. He became somebody that nobody wanted to be around. We were roommates, and he ended up pulling away, locking himself in his room, never wanted to be around. We ended up moving out, kind of drifted. He was a great friend of mine. He mentored me through college. It was, it was heartbreaking to see. But he got stuck in the, the feeling. He identified the feeling— just didn't take a next step. And so the next thing that we had to do, and this is where I didn't do it right, we got to look for a next step. When it came to my family, the reason why Christmas was so tough was because I landed in the feeling. Because I'm like a lot of the ladies in the room, okay? I just, I get stuck in the feeling. I landed in the feeling. I'm hurt, I'm sad, I feel betrayed, I feel let down. But I didn't look for a next step. And so I missed Christmas with my family that year. They missed Christmas with their granddaughter that year, their niece that year. So what's the next step? What's the next step? Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you've hurt somebody. Probably I'll start with God. Because the Bible says when we hurt other people, ultimately we're hurting God. So maybe I need to ask God for forgiveness, and then I need to go ask someone else for forgiveness. Or maybe someone's hurt you, and you're just holding on to that pain. And every time Christmas comes around, it just brings up that pain again and brings up that hurt. Maybe it's time for you just to let that go. Say, God, I forgive them. I release them to you. You deal with them. And would you deal with me at the same time? Maybe Christmas brings up pain because you lost someone who you loved. And you need to get into a grief-share group. Or you need to go to counseling. You need to work through some stuff. I I don't know. What's your next step? Maybe Christmas brings up the fact that you're lonely and you don't have any healthy relationships and you need to get some healthy relationships. Good relationships, relationships where people are on the same journey that you're on. If you find that to be the case, then make sure you're here in January because we're going to be promoting all of our spring life groups. And our life groups are just a great place for you to to take the journey with some people and form some relationships to experience God. I tell you every time, you got to be in a group. That's That's how we do it. but maybe what's been done can't be undone. So what do we do then? That person's gone for the horrible tragedy that happened in Connecticut. They, they can't undo that. There's no one doing that. So what do we do when we can't undo? I think we look f- to set up a new tradition. Look to set up a new tradition. The loss I had that first Christmas was I didn't get to spend Christmas for the first time in my life with my extended family. I was, what, 28, 29 years old? And for the first time in my life, I didn't spend Christmas with my extended family. And I lost something there. But you know what? In the midst of it, we created a new tradition. I had my first ever, only immediate family Christmas with Maddie, my daughter, and Maria, and myself. And it was amazing, and it was really fun. And we had a great time. And while we mourned the loss of what could have been, we celebrated what had become. For some of us, you've lost that home where every year you had the big Christmas celebration. It got foreclosed on. You can't get it back. There's no point in staying and grieving. That it's time to find a new tradition. That loved one is gone. Maybe that marriage has ended and you've tried to restore it and you've tried to reconnect and you've done everything you can to try to bring that relationship back together. And it's just not coming back together. It's time to find a a new tradition. A new place to go. Because the truth is, life doesn't always go the way we think it should. I wish it did. And man, here's the great news. When we get to heaven, when we're face to face with Jesus, life will go exactly like it should. That's the hope of Christmas. That when we were far from God— God sent his son into the world to draw us back to himself, to forgive us of our sins that had separated us from our Savior, and to bring us back into relationship with God so we could live with him here, know him here, experience him here, and one day be with him in eternity. And that's incredible news. That's the hope of Christmas, even when things aren't turning out the way we think they should. What happened to Mary and Joseph could have sunk them. And we would have never heard about him again because they would have become bitter and angry and depressed and sad and reclusive. But it didn't sink them. It didn't sink them. Because they knew something that we are coming to know, that God is bigger than our pain, that God is bigger than our loss, that God is bigger than the tragedy, that our God is a healer and a redeemer and a restorer, and even if you don't see it right now, one day you'll see it. Maybe not this side of eternity. Maybe you will. But God is big. And we can come to him and get honest with him and get honest with ourselves. We can acknowledge how we're doing inside and then we can look for next steps. And God begins to redeem and restore. And here's how I know that. Here's how I know that. Because when life was at its worst— when the Jewish people thought they had no hope, when the Romans had taken them over, remember, this is the scene that Jesus came into 2,000 years ago. The Romans were ruling. The Jews were nothing. When life was at its worst for God's people, for the Jewish people, the Savior came into the world. The Savior came into the world, and he lived a perfect life with God the Father, showing us what it looks like to have a relationship with our Creator if we get face-to-face with him. And then he died. He died in our place. The Bible says that God was perfect and we are anything but perfect. We are far from perfect. We, we like to say we mess up, we make mistakes. The truth is the Bible says we sin and the sin problem is something we could not fix on our own. And so God gave himself to die on a cross to take the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven, so we could be healed, so we could be brought back to God. And when things seemed like they were at their worst, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there was hope because three days later, God rose him from the dead. And if God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can replace your regret with relief. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can replace your pain with joy. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can do just about anything in your life. If you let him. And if you get face-to-face with him and allow him to speak to you and guide you. So I want to give you some things to, to do with this information. One would be to work through this stuff. If, if you feel like, you know what, I, that's me. I, Christmas brings up anything but joy for me. If there's some pain there, some hurt there, some unresolved stuff there, I want to give you some ways to work through it. So mark on your connect card. On the back of it, it says sermon application. Mark on your connect card. I want to work through this list. And I'll send you that blog probably Tuesday or Wednesday, and it it will give you some extra, the last two. So in case you just like really want to know what it says, because that just drives you crazy, mark it on your card. But you got to do something with it. That's the rule. And work through it. Because God doesn't want you to live with regret anymore. Christmas is hope. Christmas is, hope, is joy. Christmas is, is death to life. Christmas is the Savior in the world. Christmas is the grave couldn't hold him, but love raised him back to life. Christmas is God's own Spirit living in us. So even if you feel like it's not supposed to be this way, God can... God can do something. He can't. And the first step is, if you've never come into a relationship with God, you need to. Or else Christmas is just presents and and toys and and family get-togethers, and those are all good things, but that's not Christmas. Christmas is Jesus coming into the world so that we could have a relationship with God. And if you've never had that relationship, I want to tell you, you can It's the greatest gift anybody could ever give. God gave his own son so that we could come into relationship with him. The gift is there for you. He's holding it out. He's saying, would you just open the gift and let me come and live with you? And if you're ready to make that decision, if you're ready to give your life over to God, to experience his forgiveness, uh, to be part in what he's doing in the world, to be part of what he's doing in your life, to experience that full life that God promises you, you can invite him into your life today and begin that journey of following him. And I guarantee you, it will not be easy. But you won't regret it for a second. Because life with God is the best way to be. So I'm going to pray in just a second. And when I do, I'm going to give you some time in that prayer to pray a prayer of commitment to God, of surrender to God. And if you're ready to give your life to Him, you can pray that prayer with me. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you that— Through your divine hand and your wisdom, you brought us to this point in the story on this Sunday. In light of the tragedy that happened in Connecticut, in light of the reality that many of us feel in our own lives coming into this next week before Christmas, that you know, that you know us, and that you're powerful enough to to work in amazing ways in our lives as we come to you. I ask that you would do that. And we as a church community, we pray for the families who lost loved ones in Connecticut. We pray that you would be so gracious to them, so kind to them. We stand on the promise that that you actually come close to those who are brokenhearted, and there are so many with broken hearts today, both in Connecticut and around the world. So would you be close, Jesus? Would you be drawing them to yourself? For my friends in this room today, if any of us are feeling uh, the weight of Christmas and not experiencing the joy of Christmas, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, to work through uh, a path towards freedom, a path towards hope, a path towards joy, ultimately to work through a path towards you so that this Christmas would be marked by life and freedom and love and joy and peace. And as we continue to pray this morning, if you're here and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, and I mean a a personal relationship, not just going to church on Christmas, on Easter, a few other times, but a real relationship with God, because that's where transformation happens. If, If you've never entered into a relationship with God, you can today. That's the great gift that God gave us on Christmas, is that we can come into relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you're ready to make that commitment, to enter into that relationship, to go on that journey with God, you can pray this simple prayer with me. You can either whisper it right where you are or say it in your head. You can start this journey. You can, you can pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that the greatest gift of Christmas is that you gave your son to the world. And I believe that Jesus took the penalty for my sin when he died on the cross. And I believe that somehow when he rose back to life, he broke the power of death, broke the power of sin, so that I could experience a full life with you. And today I say yes. Yes, I want this life that you're offering Yes, I want to to go on this journey with you. So would you forgive me of my sins? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you guide me every day? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.